Jesus, in a sense, has always been our Savior. Um, the Bible talks about the Son of God slain from the foundation of the earth. Um, Jesus has always been the high priest. Uh, we talk about Melchizedek, uh, and Hebrews explores that. And of course, Jesus has always been king, because he is the heir of God. Um, maybe if we talk about it these days, we'd say, if God is the chairman, Jesus is, is the CEO. He's always been king. And yet, it's a profound thing. Uh, we may, can you hear me, by the way? Yeah. It's a profound thing because um, we sometimes forget that Jesus as being a savior and Jesus being high priest was to do with the fact that things had broken down on planet Earth. But his actual being, he is king. That's just who he is. Always and always. And so today, what I'm trying to do is to make us, yes, we'll look at the wise men in particular, but I want to go beyond the baby, even beyond the Savior on the cross, and even the high priest who prays for us, to say, how many times do we look forward? When do we look forward? Do we, have we forgotten? Have we forgotten what this is actually all about? And I think if we put ourselves in the lives of the children of Israel before the first coming, they were in the same place. They'd forgotten. They were just living their lives. And then the angel comes and visits. And then this whole thing starts on planet Earth. So, the link between Advent and the promised return. Now, I've got a lot of scriptures here, so I'll probably end up not reading them, and just um, if people want to talk to me about it, we can talk about it later on. Um, and of course, the story is familiar. I mean, everybody knows about the Advent and the wise men coming to give the gifts um, and, 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 all, and all that. And, and of course, the tradition of giving gifts has come from that. But we forget one thing. First of all, the gift of Jesus, which we do remember. But the fact that the gifts, it wasn't so much about the gifts, but it was about what they said. So the giving of gifts to each other is, is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But the gifts were given to demonstrate the faith that these people had about who Jesus was. So I'll just quickly go through the star of David, the child. What is a king for? We said just now that Jesus is king, but what on earth is that for, really? We saw, I don't know, some of you may have seen the coronation of Charles and the pomp and the money and all the glory. And uh, I mean, is, is that a king, just somebody we just glorify? Or is there something more? I'm hoping there's more. The part that I want to look at more is part three. How long, O oh Lord, how long until the, the king returns? And then the hope that we have of an age of accountable power. For me, one of the biggest problems with the world, and when we think about why we believe in God, there are many reasons why we believe in God, but increasingly one of the things that's striking me is that 
if I don't believe in God, it means that the powerful will never be brought to account. And we'll talk a little bit about that. The Magi, just a quick one. There's two academic papers in particular that uh, I used and even when I wrote my books. One about the 70-day phenomenon of a star um, in 5 BC. And a second one about a, uh, sorry, two papers about that, and a second one about a star in 4 BC, which appeared over a 30-day period. That's from the Korean uh, astrology people, and the other one was the Chinese. Um, so these events actually happened. There was this kind of thing, and the thought is that this possibly was the Star of David. The perception of movement is the st stars and, and all heavenly bodies appear to move from east to west. And as it moves, each day it rises up earlier and earlier. So when you see it, it's higher. And then they traveled west, east, westwards, and then southwards. Um, so the main thing, we can have that discussion. It, it's an interesting uh, intellectual discussion. But the Magi, who were they? We know that they were from the east. They were astrologers because they had this link between the stars and somebody's fate. Um, and so for us, you know, uh, <laughs> um, they were Gentiles. They were heathens from the east, like Job, man from the east. They were not necessarily a group of three. They gave gifts, which had, there were three groups of gifts. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean there's one person giving one gift each. There could have been any number of them. It could have been five or six or four or two, doesn't matter. But for me, the most important thing is proof that God, nobody, and I mean nobody is beyond God's interest or reach. These are those people who came from possibly 600, 800 kilometers away, maybe even 1,000 kilometers away, traveling over a few weeks. And God drew them. It was God who drew them. Yes, they might have thought they were being drawn by other forces, but God drew them. So it goes back to my pet subject that when we meet people, no matter who they are, let's find out what God is doing. Let's not see the peripheral stuff. Let's see God's work in them. Uh, next one, the child. We can read quickly. Our reading is from Matthew 2, but I'll just read very quickly from Luke chapter 1. Um, about the child who was born. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. This thing about being king is core. Yes, he is our Savior. Yes, he is the high priest, but he is king primarily. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So 
So just small technicalities in Matthew's account. I'll put them in very quickly. But this thing about the east, there's an interesting confusion about east and rising, east and dawn. So the word means the springing up. And it can mean from where the sun springs up, that's the east, or all of the planets, they spring up. So the, 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 the rising of the planets or the rising of the stars is the dawn, is the east of, 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 the, of the stars. So when it talks about these people coming from the east, they probably did come from the east. But in many translations, you'll see some that say, we saw his star in the east, and, and that's fine. But others read, we saw his star as it rose. It's the same thing because it does actually rise from the east. Just small technicality, nothing major to worry about. Can I read this? I'm just going to read this lovely passage, and as I read, I'll say a few words. After Jesus, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of Herod, so there's a gap between him being born and this. Another technicality, which I'm not going to go into. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? I mean, they travel all this way. Presumably, they thought it was Jerusalem must be the place. If there's the king of the Jews, it must be Jerusalem. So as the, as the star was rising towards them and as they walked towards it, they thought, this is it. We saw his star in the east. We saw his star at, at its rising. And we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And uh, the records go on that he actually pretty soon uh, had one of his sons executed because he thought that uh, they were the one, they were, they were, he was the one who was trying to take over from him. But that's another story. And all Jerusalem with him. Herod was very paranoid, paranoid um, about his kingdom. When he had called together all the priests, chief people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea. When I went, I had the privilege at that time of going to Israel, Palestine, and uh, going through that horrible wall and border post and ending up in Bethlehem, which is actually in Palestine. It's, 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 um, it's, a, it's, it's a Palestinian place. That's where I actually bought my Palestinian scarf. Um, and so it's sort of outside Jerusalem. Um, it's this little village where David was born. When he called together, sorry, all the people, in Bethlehem and Judea, he replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler, a king, who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After the, they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So their paths intersected right there. 
the path of the star and their path southward. On coming to the house, sorry, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. This is a lovely scripture. Talking about a house, there's no manger and all that kind of stuff, which was a year before probably. Um, no mention of Joseph. Maybe just during the day, Joseph was out working somewhere. They only talk about the mother and the child. And then it says, they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So we're very familiar with, the, with that scripture. Um, just a quick one. What's a king for? Well, my own understanding is one of the things a king does is defend us against our enemies. So we've got John there on, on, on the left. He represents the king's power to defend us against our enemies. The king also upholds the law. In other words, lives, also lives and commits himself to living in the law. The king arbitrates between us. He's the final one who says, you know, if we fight against each other, he's supposed to make sure that things are okay. And I believe one of the things is to protect the vulnerable. So what type of king is Jesus? Well, these gifts, we know the gifts. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. And myrrh, we know, talks about his suffering. His suffering as our saviour. So, these gifts were prophetic. Jesus is born to be king, but he is also born to be saviour. What an unusual king. A king who dies for his people. Now, that's a king I can honor. Status, done. Remember when Jesus died, he said, it is finished. So we can tick that one off. But Jesus is also our high priest. Frankincense is the offering that the priests would make to God. And in other places, it talks about him weeping and in other places it talks about him as, as being our intercessor. Romans talks about the fact that Jesus intercedes for us. The status of this, in progress. The Bible says this is happening right now. So, for example, recently all of us have been shocked to see pictures of Ukraine being blasted to smithereens, of uh, Gaza being blasted to smithereens, and we cry out, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And this is, this is because we see it. But God sees everything. He sees the child who's abused at home, or the woman who's beaten up by a husband. He sees all the horrors that we don't see. We make a big fuss when we hear about this. Yes, it's horrible. But he is the high priest who cries out to God for the world. 
And finally, he is the king. He's the righteous judge. Status, still to come. Yes, in many ways, Jesus' king, his kingdom has come. But it hasn't come in the way that God intends, where it says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it every day, glibly. But how many of us really believe that this is God's intention? I believe it is. So let's fast forward from 30 CE, from when Jesus died. So if Jesus is going to return, he's going to return sometime. Okay? And of course, lots of people make a big fuss about when, and people do timing. And I remember when I was at, at school and young, it was 1988 for some reason, and, and, and so on and so forth. There's a lovely, uh, people love this kind of projection. But one of the things, if you think about the way in which the end of the world is, is, is discussed, I believe one of the prerequisites is globalization. Because we're talking, for example, about this antichrist figure who will control the world. And so in order to do that, there's got to be a whole, we talk about an economy, you know, there's lots of stuff in Revelation about this economy which basically governs the entire earth. So there are a few, during COVID, the whole world is affected. China stopped producing stuff and everybody went, wow, goodness gracious, the wheel stopped. <laughs> um, global politics, everything that happens now has lots of global implications. Uh, global communications, for example, in order for the Antichrist figure to be able to control the world, he, he must be able to reach the world by communications of some kind, the entire world. Global surveillance. This is growing very, very fast. China's the leader, but lots of places, London, for example, you can't move a, a foot without being seen on some camera or other. So all of this is creating an environment which is obviously going to be much easier to control. And then the last one, global power. At some point you can imagine the nations throwing up their hands and maybe someone's got some solution and they say, maybe you can do something about this. So I believe this is, this, this is a start. This, this has not happened before. So a lot of the things that people talk about are things that have always happened in some way. Next one. Triggers. What spiritual triggers have we got for the coming of the end and Jesus coming to be king? Well, there's an interesting one which we'll read about in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1 to 8. It's a fascinating scripture and, and very mysterious because it never says exactly what it's talking about. It just throws away the statement. But Paul says... Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion or the apostasy or the falling away 
appear, uh, occurs. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? I wish I'd been there. And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. I really don't plan to give you a, 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 a definitive answer. But there's something interesting here. In the last 50 or so years, we have developed a new society which is basically driven by a rejection of all hierarchy and a rejection of all norms. Now, societies in the past have always had to have some kind of hierarchy and they've always had to have some kind of norms. We're, I believe we're starting to see a world in which the concept of a norm has been overthrown. And perhaps this is the falling away. Perhaps this is what we've been restrained from over the years. And perhaps this sense of, I don't know, breakdown of standards and values different from, you know, each generation looks at the next generation and says, oh, the young people of today, etc., etc. But there is something very powerful happening in our society, which is, I believe, changing it in a very fundamental way. So that's the reading. And linked to that, there's an interesting scripture, which um, two scriptures I'll read from the Old Testament. The first one is from... Uh, Let's see. Let's do Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So there's this. Michael is apparently linked with the people of the, the children of Abraham, the children of, of Israel, Jacob. There's another scripture which is from Zechariah. Uh, which I also should read, just a couple of verses. I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding nations reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. On that day, when all of the nations are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. 
All who try to move it will injure themselves. Now, once again, we could say, what does that scripture really mean? But I think if we go to the fundamentals, it means that Jerusalem, Israel, Palestine will become a focus, an an intractable problem that the world is trying to solve. I believe that's part of this. Um, and, And that's part of this Michael arising and the power of the nations starting to break up. Okay, and then lastly, and it's just before I do, there's a couple more. What visible signs have we got? Matthew 21, verse 24, is in Jesus' last teaching on the day uh, before he died um, to the disciples on the Mount Olivet. And it has an interesting couple of verses from Luke, who says, talking about Jerusalem. So he says, um, I won't read all the scriptures, because you can read it yourself if you like. But he talks about how Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies, and so on and so forth. And then he says, Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So again, there's this sense in which the world and its world system we think is there forever. But God has got a time limit somewhere. At some point, the world system as we know it will, uh, will basically uh, come under judgment, if you want, or be ended. Now, this is just my own thinking. Remember when God spoke to, I think in Genesis, when he talked about Abraham inheriting that land, but he said that not yet, because the evil of the Amorites has not reached its limit. You should read it. It's in Genesis 15, 16. So that there is a sense in which God's ability to be patient comes to an end, and he has to act and do something. And I think if we look at our world, Our world has seen many horrors long before we were here. But the nations, talk about the League of Nations, talk about the United Nations, led by five five, uh, major people who get a veto. Every time they do something bad, they put a veto down so that nobody can call them to account. So China has done horrible things in Tibet and against the Uyghurs today. Those, those countries are basically prison camps. Um, Russia, we saw what happened in, uh, in, in, in Ukraine, but before that it was Chechnya, and we didn't know what happened there because nobody was there with cameras. But I don't think it was beautiful. USA and the West right now are supporting or leaving behind or over, however you want to say it, a genocide. Now, I don't care whether you support Israel or against Israel. The fact of the matter is hundreds and thousands of people are being bombed right before our eyes. And as I said, these countries, there are other evils in the world, and people get called to account. But these guys never do, because they put a veto down. Who is going to make them accountable? So, is the time of the nations, the evil of the nations, getting to a point where 
we can't take it anymore. I don't know if, like you, trying to watch the news now has been the most horrendous thing in my life. Over the last two years, watching Ukraine being smashed to pieces, watching Gaza being completely crushed. And you think, yes, God is watching this, and does it mean I'm just super sensitive? Maybe I'm just being funny? But maybe there's a time. I think these are visible signals that the time of the nations must be up soon. So the look and feel of the end, the rebirth of Jacob's children. I won't read the scriptures here. In Ezekiel 37, after the Valley of Dry Bones, there's this whole thing about the people of Israel being gathered under one king. And Israel is all of Jacob, all of the children of Israel, including, uh, there's a long story, but their genetic brothers, the Palestinian Arabs, they're all, they're all from Israel. They're all children of Israel. Um, so the, both the Jews and the Palestinians whom they're killing are actually completely brothers. Um, the rebirth. So when we think of how is this problem going to be solved, it can only have a spiritual solution. There's no political solution. You can talk about a single country where the people rule benevolently over all the people, or two states where people live happily side by side. Ultimately, the only solution is going to be when the whole house of Israel, Jews, Muslims, recognize Jesus the Messiah in that country. And as they are changed and transformed, we can have a chance of having a new way forward. That's fine. But the empire strikes back. I know you've, some of you have seen the, the Star Wars. So what's going to happen? So here we are. We've got this system of rejecting authority, rejecting religion, rejecting any kind of norms, growing. And at the same time, we've got this revival among the house of Israel. Miracles, signs, wonders, great things happening. And how many of these people? Who knows? They're all over the world. There's a, a group of people, there's 20,000 um, uh, people from Samaritans. You know the Samaritan woman? Samaritans are like, they've got their own version of Judaism, exactly the same, but they worship at a particular place, not in Jerusalem. There's 20,000 of them in uh, Brazil. So all over the world there are these people who when they realize that Jesus is the Messiah, as the woman at the well did, who knows what's going to happen throughout this world. But the empire will strike back in two ways. The Bible talks of someone who creates counterfeit miracles that people think, wow, this is the person. But also the Bible talks about a great tribulation, an attack on God's people. We also have, if you read Revelation, if you read any of the scriptures about the end time, something about the environment. There's an environmental cataclysm. So the Bible in Romans 8 says, the whole creation groans and travails together in pain, waiting 
for the, uh, for the appearance of the sons of God. And in Luke 21, we also have this scripture about the heavens being shaken. Maybe if I read it here. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. That's <laughs> so funny. Men will faint with terror, apprehensive of what's coming to the world. I mean, these scriptures, when you read them, you're amazed. This whole thing about planet uh, global warming and the change in the environment and floods and all this type of thing. Obviously, these things have always happened in the past. But the extent to which it's happening, coupled with Romans 8, which says the, nation, the whole world is travailing in pain. And you can imagine as this evil continues, the Bible talks about how the world, if you like, has experienced the horrors of the first murder, Abel, right through all the horrible things that we have done as human beings. And there's going to be a point at which it just can't take it anymore. So the last slide I've got here is the return of the king. Uh, the parousia the Bible talks about, the appearance when Jesus actually appears in the heavens. Um, it sounds like a fairy story. And, and of course, anyone who talk about it, oh, it's just symbolic and what, 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 metaphoric. It's just to give us hope. Um, but the Bible, for example, talks about Jesus when he actually ascended at, at the ascension. It said, in the way that he went up, he's coming back. Don't be surprised. Why are you staring up in heaven? He's coming back. And he will come back. And he will come back as king. What kind of king? We've said a little bit about it, but I'm just going to read these few verses. He will judge between many peoples. So remember, a king arbitrates. He will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And then this bit, I love this scripture. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. I love that, those words. You're not dominated by anybody. You're just living. You're not chasing after rainbows. You're just living with your family. But the whole point is that God is working in our world, and he's working towards one final point, which is when he places Jesus as king just as was seen by the wise men, he will be king. So the prayer in my heart is, may our insight into your plans, O Lord, be for the world be as clear to us as it was to the Magi. These are heathens. 
they didn't really know God. They, they, they obviously had some kind of religion. We don't know what that religion was. But whatever they had, the light that they had drew them to recognize that something amazing was happening. And so I pray that, Lord, may we not just see the pain and the horror of the world around us. Yes, we don't want to shut our eyes to it. We don't want to pretend it's not there. But we also want to see beyond it. Lord, give us eyes to see be into the plans that you have for the world. And may those plans be as clear to us as they were to the Magi. And so the final verse I'd like to read is in Luke 21, verse 8. Not verse, not Luke 21 at all. 28. Verse 28. So maybe I'll read from 25. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint in terror, apprehensive of what's happening, coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And of course we know as we find out more and more about our world, you, you look down. You're, you're embarrassed to be human, to be part of this race of, of horrendous things that, that are done. Yes, there are lots of good things too, and that's why God loves human beings. But Jesus says, when you see these things, don't be bowed down by them. There's more than this. Stand up. It's easy to lie down, to be in catatonic, and in a sense, I've, I've been like that a little bit over the last few months. Stand up. Lift your head. Because your redemption is drawing near. So yes, he was a baby in a manger. Yes, he was a savior. Yes, he was a high priest. But we're waiting for that wonderful day when that person who has died for his people, who carries the world on his heart in intercession, when God says, this is the kind of king I've been looking for. And he gives them the authority. So my prayer really is Advent, yes, Advent 1, but there's also Advent 2. And it was really just to give you hope. Those who are losing hope, those who are bowed down by just what's happening in our world, the feeling of hopelessness, of inability to do anything. Nobody can do anything. Um, yet we say, Lord, we long for you to be king. The king is coming.